Hello, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of the Media Boat Podcast, your weekly breakdowns of all the top stories from the past week on movies, TV, music, and video games. Not necessarily in that order. My name is Mike. His name is Matt. My name is Matt. His name is Mike. Thank you for joining us today on this fine March 3rd, 2024. It is March. It is not. March. And it's yeah, getting mad. mad. Yeah, brackets. So it's also speaking. a very 100% day because it is 3 over 3. Yeah, that's true. So speaking of madness and brackets, we have a little bit of an announcement to make today's show. If you're a long-time listener of the show, um, you'll remember that traditionally we do a March Madness bracket every March of the year uh, where we have a tournament uh, ranking a thing of our choosing, whether it be movies, television, video games, or music, uh, something in those categories. Last year, we, of course, had our Taylor Swift song bracket in which we decided that All Too Well was Taylor's best song. Uh, although... It was also Betty. This is her most well-written yeah. song. Well, no. That's not how that worked. Let's tell you how it works. Our bracket, we do our own. Taylor Turney, 2023. Revisionist history. Um, so you can go back and listen to those. But this year, we are going to do something a little different for y'all. Uh, because, you know, life situations change. We don't quite have the same amount of time as we did last year to dedicate to Taylor. So this year, uh, we are doing a different kind of setup for you. We will have a bracket. March Madness will happen. Uh, but I will be taking the lead on it for the most part and be doing special videos for you that will go up on the YouTube channel. Um, I don't know if I'll be breaking those out into podcasts or not. Probably not. That might just be a video exclusive this year. Um, but the subject for this bracket this year to in to celebrate the fact that we will be doing it in the midst of oscar season fever we will be talking about the last 16 best picture winners at the academy awards so that's going not including this current winner because that will occur when we've already started the series uh but it will include last year's winner everything everywhere all at once going back to what was the cutoff 2000 eight academy award where yes. they awarded the 2007 film right no country for old men so yes so from no country for old men to everything everywhere all at once the whole span so that includes movies like coda parasite uh argo the artist um birdman whole, 12 years birdman. a slave yeah moonlight uh and yes green book Yes, so the ultimate question is, which is the worst and which is the best? Well, we will determine that. Then Mike will be joining me for the last episode of that tourney to decide the ultimate winner when we are down to the finals. So he'll be able to help us determine whether, uh, let's just say, I don't know, let's call our shots now, uh, whether, hmm, I'm trying to think. I mean, honestly, no country for old man. No Still holds up, so that's going to be a tough one to beat. Is it No Country for Old Men and um, Ooh Spotlight? Spotlight is a good ooh, one too. Spotlight's a good one. I don't know. That's a tough one. That's La a tough La fight. Right great too. I La mean, La Moonlight. No, no Moonlight. <laughs> anyway, uh, so yeah, look forward to that. That will start today. Uh, I believe I will try to get a video up today. If not. 
they might not go up on Sundays. I have my I have the the power to choose that now. So yes. um, we'll uh, yeah, if not today, maybe maybe sometime this week. Uh, but yeah, uh, look forward to that. There will be a total of five episodes, four uh, preliminary uh, episodes to get to the finals, and then a fifth episode with the final face-off. Uh, so look forward to that on the YouTube channel. Search Media Booth Podcast on YouTube to find it. With that said, let's go into uh, episode 425 uh, proper, and we'll start, as we usually do, with the music section. And we start the music section with the Billboard, and we start the Billboard with the Hot 100, and the hottest song in the land has finally arrived. Queen Bee is here at number one with Texas Hold'em. Yes. We commented last week how it was number two. Well, more people got on the Beyonce country train. <laughs> yes, it's here. It's, it's number one. Choo-choo. Uh, at number two, Lovin' On Me by Jack Harlow, as it does drop down from that number one spot from the previous week. Mm-hmm. At three, Lose Control by Teddy Swims. Coming in at four, Carnival by Kanye West and Ty Dolla Sign, but also featuring Rich the Kid and Playboy Cardi. And then rounding out your top five, Beautiful Things by Benson Boone. Benson Boone. As for your albums chart, your Billboard 200, coming in at number one is Vultures 1 by Kanye West and Ty Dolla Sign. Coming in at two is 2093 by Yeet. <laughs> at three, One Thing at a Time by Morgan Wallen. Yeah. At four is still Stick Season by Noah Kahan. And rounding out your top five, same as last week, SOS by SZA. All that and sounded it, familiar. Yeah, it's because it not, not much has moved. Uh, 2093 by Yeats is the sole new entry here. Uh, also, uh, I know you probably love when I correct your pronunciation, but it's just Noah Kahn. It's Kahan. No, it's just spelled like that. There's two A's, so you have to pronounce both A's. Kahan. You don't, you don't have to, actually. If it was just Khan, there'd be no second A. It'd be K-A-H-N. We'll take it up with his family. I'll take it up with his grandparents. <laughs> sure. They're the ones who started this thing. But what if I didn't like any of those? Well, if you didn't like how I say Kahan, you could help get new releases in there. Hey. And there'll probably be at least one, maybe two of these in here. As we start with the biggest release of the week, Bleachers by Bleachers. (laughs) Hey, just because Jack Antonoff is producer of the year for the Grammys three times running does not mean that Bleachers is that big of a deal. You know, for some people inside the music industry... And just on the fringes outside the music industry, they are excited for this album. <laughs> uh, or we also have Invincible Shield by Judas Priest. Yes, that Judas Priest. Yes. Um, we also have The Collective by Kim Gordon. Yes, a your favorite Kim Gordon. Kim. Yes. So looking forward to that one. We also have Flora Ocean Tiger Bloom by Meat Bodies. The Great Bailout by Moore Mother. Visions by Nora Jones. Yes. Yes. That Nora that Jones. Nora Jones. Uh, 
Glasgow Eyes by The Jesus and Mary Chained. Yes, that The Jesus and Mary Chained. Uh, we also have All Quiet on the Eastern Esplanade by the Libertines. Sure. But everything else, get out of the way. Yep. There's one big release that we must talk about. <laughs> Ariana Grande is officially releasing Eternal Sunshine, not of her spotless mind. No, this is the big release here in this household. Christy is thrilled. Uh, we will be listening to this probably Thursday night if we can stay up. And then, um, yeah, uh, next week we'll be able to talk about it. So because last year Miley had endless summer vacation, now Ariana Grande has to respond to that with eternal sunshine. Yeah, so we have the full track list. Uh, notably, there's a song on there that she just has called The Boy Is Mine. No Brandy, no Monica. But somehow that is the name of that song. So, uh, yeah, no idea what the rest of this sounds like. If it's as dancey as uh, Yes And, uh, then it might be a little bit of a change for Ariana. So, uh, yeah, looking forward to see what this whole thing sounds like. And we will have our thoughts on that next week when it releases. All right. And are you ready for Slow Music News Week? Yes, I am. (laughs) Because... It is our time to rise up and shine, yes. not with the eternal sunshine with Ariana Grande, but yes. with Casey Musgraves, as she has revealed a deep interior in- itinerary. Itinerary is that word? Yes, I know how to read. <laughs> a deep itinerary for her deeper well tour. Yes, with a run through U.S. arena set for the fall after she hits Europe in the spring. Mm-hmm. The Casey Musgraves North American Tour will have her topping a triple bill with Father John Misty opening the entire way and Nickel Creek and Lord Huron trading places with that third spot. I see some shaking of the heads with Father John Misty. Not my favorite. Um, And yeah, it makes me less uh, excited to go see Casey. (laughs) That's okay. The three-month U.S. leg tour starts just after Labor Day with a September 4th show in State College, Pennsylvania, mm-hmm. wrapping up with a two-night hometown stand at Nashville's Bridgestone Arena on December 6th and 7th. Notable stops along the way include two nights at the L.A.'s Kia Forum, October yeah. 3rd and 4th. Yes, that October 3rd. Yes. Where she will definitely be wearing pink. A pair of evenings at Brooklyn's Barclay Center on November 15th and 16th. Additional two-nighters in Boston for September 6th and 7th. All the way down into Dallas, Texas for November 22nd and 23rd. And let's not forget over in Austin for November 26th and 27th. Uh, there's also a pair of single night locales out there for Seattle and Orlando, complete opposite sides of the country. So the question will be, will you try to get tickets to the Kia Forum dates? Uh, yes, I will definitely try, although timing may be an issue, as all we all know, October is definitely the time for football season, <laughs> around L.A., but 
that area right there is going to be super packed because not yeah. only will you have the Kia Forum there for concerts, you also have SoFi Stadium right there for football mm -hmm. and other events. But opening just on the other side of SoFi Stadium will be this upcoming fall, the Intuit Arena, Ooh. which is where the Clippers will be playing their games come next season as that will be set to be opening up in October as well. Well, I'm looking at those. Yeah. It comes around. So I am looking at the dates. And... That's 24 to 2025 season. Right. So I'm looking at those dates, and the third is a Thursday. The fourth is a Friday, which means that the Friday night you will not have football traffic. So yes, you will. Something to, what do you mean, yes, you will? They don't play High football. High school on... football. They don't play football at SoFi on Fridays. No, you're right. Yes. Thank you. But I'm they not may, because it's not released. Rams may get that October 3rd football, <laughs> Thursday football. So, oh. or the Chargers may get it. So we need to wait and see yeah. if it's going to be super jam-packed. Super jam-packed. So, but yes, Casey will be here October 3rd and 4th here in LA. But um, yeah, catch her when she's on her tour. With the rest of, uh, on the rest of these dates, um, as long as you can stomach uh, Father John Misty. All right. Question. Yes. And, and you haven't looked this up yet, but I have not. is Casey Musgraves a part of the Grand Ole Opry? I believe she is a member. I think I that they made her a member after like pageant material. So after like I think she's been a member for a while. Okay. <laughs> so I would say because she ends the tour in Nashville, mm -hmm. could she get into the Hall of Fame? But uh, well, not the Hall of Fame, but yeah, I think she is a member of the Opry. Right. Okay. Correct me if I'm wrong, people. Yes. Yeah, email the show. Things. And yell at me if she's but not. I'm saying because sure. it like specifically ends in Nashville, that would be a great time to like someone to come out and say, We're inducting you, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> Welcome to like Nashville forever. Blah, yeah, blah, but... blah. Now let's go party in Nashville. <laughs> blah, blah, blah. But I think I think that that has already occurred. But um, but yeah, no, it's cool. If it uh, hasn't, it's a good way to, for that to happen. So there you go. Casey will be visiting your town. So check her out. Yep, uh, you too can get your tickets to Casey Musgrave's Deeper Well. Yes. Tour. Tour. Yes. yes, fall down that well. Well, 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 what do we have here? <laughs> I see thoughts. Yeah, a couple thoughts, a couple things I listened to this week. And um, first up, uh, I don't know where I want to start. Uh, let's start with Mannequin Pussy, just because I like to say the band name Mannequin Pussy on this podcast, because it earns us our explicit tag. Now, so, is, yes, is this album as smooth as Mannequin Pussy? <laughs> I don't like that you took it that direction, but um, <laughs> uh, I guess I have to deal with it. Uh, yes. I'm not answering that question, but I will say <laughs> that um, I really enjoyed uh, the new record from Mannequin Pussy. I got he heaven. <clears throat> Pardon me. If you're not familiar with the band, they come from a hardcore uh, history. They have a lot of intense um, songs in their back catalog. However, over the last couple of records, they've kind of gone towards a softer sound, but not softer in content, softer in the fact that they, their singer sometimes actually does sing as opposed to scream, uh, which used to be kind of the thing that they did. Um, and in the process of like kind of refining their sound, I feel like they've gotten better and better. 
Uh, their newest record, I Got Heaven, is the perfect example of this. It's a great balance between their softer, more romantic pop leading stuff and some, yes, hardcore songs tossed in there for good measure. Um, a lot of the subject matter on the record is a lot about sexuality, and as you might maybe assume from the band's name, and it really delves into some of the double standards uh, between female sexuality and male sexuality. It's an intense record, but it's also a very heartfelt record. Um, it's some of the best music I've heard this year. I think it's an excellent thing. If you like their last record, um, uh, Patience, especially the single Drunk 2, um, these songs are a lot are similar to that. Um, and yeah, they're just they're they've got a knack for songwriting. Um, uh, and yeah, I just really, really enjoy it. All right. Is it more singing than screaming, as you mentioned? Uh yes, but not by a whole lot. There's like okay. three or three of the songs on the like twelve or so songs that are more in the hardcore lane. So so yeah. Buyer beware, I guess. Uh, just be aware <laughs> of what you're getting into. But um, I recommend it for sure. Then on the other end of the spectrum, um, I listened to the new Faye Webster record. Faye Webster is a singer-songwriter. She's very much um, on the quieter side of things, um, on the periphery of something that uh, something like a, a, a um, I wish I remembered uh, who that artist was. But anyway, um, she likes to um, use a lot of like orchestration, a lot of like jazz-inspired sounds, a lot of strings, a lot of horns. And it's very gentle music. It's very calming. And but the uh the lyrics are very like kind of Gen Z relatable. Is like there's a one that where she just talks about how her day went, for example. Uh, but paired with the music, it's very, very kind of lilting and very kind of just like a chill afternoon kind of songs. Um, yeah, and underdressed at the symphony is very much that. Um, it's it's very cute. It's very calm. I didn't like it quite as much as her last record, uh, Funny Haha. Uh, but um, it's a good time if you like Faye's stuff and if you're a fan of hers. Um, also, there's a song on here called Lego Ring, where she duets with, of all people, Lil Yachty. Because apparently they've been friends since middle school, and I'm not making this up. It sounds like you're making that up. I'm not making this up. It's very cute. It's very endearing. Uh, I recommend it uh, uh, just to check out that song in, its, in particular, just because of how unique a, uh, of a thing it is. It's just cute. It's adorable. Um, and yeah, I recommend it. Um, but yeah, you might like the rest of the record too. Actually, this might be one to um, give Kristen a, a shout out for, because I feel like it's calm and chill and she might like the vibe. I was about to ask you, as mm. if someone's going from Taylor Swift Midnight to <laughs> Stick Season by Noah Kahan. Oh, for sure. Yes, if you're that, would you go that kind of lane? Less folk inspired, more like, like I said, more like jazz and orchestral. But like, mm -hmm. I think she'll like the chill vibe of it. Okay. So yeah, that's uh, Faye Webster, uh, underdressed at the Symphony. So those are the two uh, big records I listened to this week. All right. Sounds like a fun time, and as mentioned, <laughs> we will get to Ariana Grande yes, next week. Right. Yep, so yep. let's mosey on over then into video games, where we start with new releases. And I start on this chocolate croissant. Go on. Yes, you do. Because <laughs> we're going to get to the Thaumaturg for the PC. Don't know what that um, is. 
No, no. We also have classify. Colon, France of 44 <laughs> for the PC, PS5, and Xbox Series X. You can't tell me about that. It's classified. Well, that's why I could only give you the date and location. Everything mm -hmm. else, you have to figure out yourself. Right. Uh, there's also Expeditions, colon, a Mudrunner game for everything. Wide release. You got it. You, you can play it. You got it. You can Mudrun it. Also speaking of Mudrun, The Outlast Trials for the PS4, PS5, Xbox One, and Xbox Series X. We also have Revile for everything but the Switch. I want to say it's Reveal. Revile. Veil. Reveal. It's not Reveal because there's no A. It's an I. <laughs> uh, we also have As Dusk Falls for the PS4 and PS5. Um, is that, that's not the remake, right? No, I believe that was previously only available on Xbox consoles, and now it's coming to PC. Okay, yeah. that's probably what I'm thinking. Yeah. Uh, we also have Crown Wars for the PC, Xbox Series X, and PS5. Unicorn Overlord <laughs> for the PS4, PS5, Xbox Series X, Switch, and PC. Mm -hmm. Sorry, Switch. No PC for Unicorn Overlord. Mm -hmm. um, but your big release of the week, Make Way... All hail, acknowledge me, Roman Reigns on the cover of WWE 2K24 for PS4, PS5, Xbox One, Xbox Series X, and the PC. This is your big release of the week as we get ready for WrestleMania yep. in two one month? March, April. Yeah, one month away. So if somehow all the uh, corporate uh, terror that's happened over there in that um, in that organization hasn't scared you away from the WWE, well, enjoy. If you're <laughs> able to find a Brock Lesnar image on the cover, that will be worth money because he should not be there anymore. They, they removed purposely him. took yes. him out. They removed him from all promotional material on it. All right. So. Let's get into video game news. And there was so much news happening this past week that we got it all wrapped up for you here in the gaming bits. <laughs> yes, just like the bits of croissant on my face, there were gaming bits this week. Yes. Uh, but as we did mention last week, we teed it up, we set it up, we said it was coming, and a lot happened. A lot of new and interesting stuff happened in that Pokemon Direct that happened on Tuesday, including the announcement of a couple games I don't think any of us saw coming. No. Starting with Pokemon Trading Card Game Pocket, yes. which was announced. It's a digital, mobile, and immersive new card experience that will be coming later this year, 2024. Do note, this is very different from the already going on and running Pokemon trading card game. That is already out. That is already available. This is a completely new start from scratch for everybody. Well, except for anyone who's been in the beta. Um, <laughs> Pokemon trading card game Pocket. It's supposed to have more of a dynamic card game, uh, more of a dynamic art style, and a very much easier and simplified battle mechanic, including, I think they said, auto battles as well yeah it's a fascinating thing 
they kind of only showed it in kind of what appears to be a beta stage. Like this wasn't actual like footage of somebody running it on their phone. Um, but what they did show is kind of compelling um, for a pitch. I mean, there'll be two free um, card packs, packs that you can open day. every day. Um, there's an emphasis on trading. There's an interactive element where you can kind of delve into the art of a card and kind of see it as its own lived-in ecosystem, which is a really cool idea. Kind of takes advantage of the technology mm -hmm. and pairs that with the one of the coolest things about Pokemon cards, which is the art. Uh, try, finally makes that kind of tangible in a way that it hasn't been before. Um, but the most interesting thing I thought about it, as you pointed out, is that it's unrelated to this existing trading card game, digital game that they have already, that already, uh, you know, is on phones and iPad and PC. And I guess that they're going to coexist with each other. And so it's interesting that they're doing that at all because they had just launched that like last year. And yes, it's with a third party partner. And yes, its emphasis is more on um, playing the game identical in its current rule set, which is identical to the real cards. And I don't know where this exists compared to that, because you mentioned that they said, oh, this is going to have a simpler battle style. This is going to be easier to interact with for new players. And so I'm like, are they trying to carve out maybe the older game is more for the professional players, professional, of course, in quotes, for the people who are trying to get into tournaments. And this is more for average Pokemon fan or somebody who hadn't gone into the cards in real life. Um it's just, it's not necessarily confusing because I see why they're doing it. I think it's a cool idea, but it's interesting because considering that they have a product that is so close to this, but they're almost eating their own lunch by introducing this as well. It's like, who's going to do both? Not necessarily. I mean, it does feel like that, but let me give you an example of something that already exists, which okay. is the Yu-Gi-Oh brand, <laughs> clearly trading card game. Yeah. They have two active different running mobile apps they okay. have the Yu-Gi-Oh master duel which is very comparable to the pokemon trading card game where it's all the cards all the rules you can do online battles there's a tournament mode there's a story mode to unlock more packs like every card in existence is on Yu-Gi-Oh master duel okay but at the same time if you want a more streamlined quick easy battle system there is still ongoing for its fifth year now, Yu-Gi-Oh! Dual Links, which mm. is a separate entity, but has the same kind of card mechanics, is a quicker battle system of a three-on-three -three grid instead of a five-on-five -five or, yeah, five-by-four grid. Okay. It's a three-by-two grid, so it's very much a faster-paced game, but you still get enough of a interaction to where, okay... I could take what I learned from here and apply it here, but mm -hmm. also vice versa, where if I want to know more from this kind of essentially like quick paced baby steps from mm -hmm. little duel links, you can transition the same knowledge into the master duel. And okay. I think that's what they're trying to do here, especially since Marvel Snap kind of exploded everywhere with the trading card games, especially with the mm -hmm. art and the different styles of the art right. that they say, hey, why don't we do that? I mean, 
Yeah, I guess you're right. Um, they become kind of different animals when you kind of break it down like that. Um, also, also the one thing I, the last thing I'll say about it is, um, is that this is welcome for me because I tried that other thing. And not only are the current rules of the Pokemon trading card card game way too complicated for me, someone who remembers how simple the game used to be when it first came out. Um, also, I don't like the art, and I don't like the experience of playing that game. So I'm glad I will have an alternative without all the kind of weird stuff that comes out of that being developed by a third party and not in interior to Game Freak um, or, in this it case, also, creatures. In, yeah, it also, in a way, feels like a soft reset to where if you feel so overwhelmed by the Pokemon <laughs> trading card game with yeah. all the cards from all the gens, well, <laughs> let's start from zero here for everybody. Yeah. And we'll build our way back up to thousand, ten thousand cards. So I think it's a cool idea. I'm interested. It'll launch later this year, but uh, no mm -hmm. more specific date has been given yet. Right. No time frame on when there'll be an open beta. If there's going to be an open beta, mm -hmm. no official release date. It just said coming 2024. Which to me says October. <laughs> Maybe fall, yeah. We'll see. Yeah. But if you want the next proper Pokemon game, you may have to wait a little bit longer. Yeah. As Pokemon Legends Z was announced for early 2025. That's not the name of that game. Okay, A to Z. No, that's not the name of the game. Okay, Zeta to Alpha. No. Z A. You really want me to say Z A? It's Z A is apparently how it's said. Yeah. Pokemon Legends Z A, uh, which has been announced for early next year. Yes. Caught everybody off guard. So the Pokemon rumor community had pretty much determined it was either the big game that was going to be announced was either going to be a Legends game set in Johto, potentially a Legends Celebi, for example, because they mm -hmm. were going off of Legends Arceus as kind of the name template. Yep. Or a remake of Black and White, the fifth generation Pokemon games. Neither of those turned out to be true, and we got ZA instead. And the craziest thing about ZA is where it takes place. It's in Kalos, folks. Uh, it's the same place as the X and Y games, hence the Z and the ZA. Mm -hmm. um, and it takes place entirely, according to the trailer, in Lumio City, the main central city in Kalos in that generation of games. Um, it also, just like Legends Arceus, takes place in a long time ago timeline, specifically when Lumio City was being built in this case. So um, there's a lot to absorb here. Um, not only were the fans way, 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 way off and had no idea that this was what was being developed, but two, X and Y, even though I think it's a beloved uh, generation in the series, is not a fan favorite uh, beyond Mega Evolutions, which is a fan favorite um, battling gimmick. Mm -hmm. The actual X and Y games were kind of uh, poo-pooed at launch uh, by the hardcore. A lot of people thought they were downgrades in difficulty. Um, it, it was the first of the modern Pokemon games to introduce the experience share on by default feature, which a lot of hardcore fans think makes the game way too uh, simple. I disagree. I like an easy time on a Pokemon game uh, because it makes it more fun for me. Uh, but yeah, and so it's an interesting uh, era of the series to bring back and revisit. Um, and it's led me to be kind of at an impasse with this game. 
I didn't love Legends Arceus. I don't, I am a purist, I guess I found out, when it comes to catching Pokemon. And I didn't like the fact that you didn't have to battle them, and I didn't like the fact that battles were different. And I especially didn't like the fact that so much of the game was about you, uh, like the, the trainer character, where you could run around and avoid Pokemon and get hurt by Pokemon and do dodge rolls and stuff. Not the experience I was looking for. It was just a little too much Monster Hunter and not enough Pokemon for my my taste. So I didn't jive with Arceus in the way that a lot of people did. I didn't like the whole catch Pokemon multiple times to get combos and stuff like that. That's just not... I don't want to catch Pokemon like it's like, you know, they're a commodity. I want them to join my party and I want them to be special. And I want them to like... I want them to feel special to me. And that just that didn't deliver that for me. But I love Kalos. I love the world of X and Y, and there's a lot of great characters in that. And I love the designs, and I love the fashion, and all that stuff. And so X and Y was a generation that really meant a lot to me, and is probably my favorite, if I'm being honest. Um, and so, yeah, it's cool that it's revisiting it. So I feel very of two minds about ZA, and I think all of it will depend on what you actually do in the game, because the biggest curveball that they've thrown us here is takes place entirely in Lumio City. Because think about that. what that means. Arceus was an open world game. Mm -hmm. so there were a lot of fields, and like there were cities, but you couldn't go into any buildings, for example. Everything was outside, just kind of like, kinda like um, Scarlet and Violet's approach. Everything was very centered on exploration. How much exploration can you do in a developing city? Especially Lumio City, which we kind of roughly know the layout of. It's kind of set up in five spokes. Um, I, right, it's a walled city where there's a defined wall. So it really makes you makes you wonder if the setting of this game is going to then determine the gameplay. Is this going to be different than Arceus? Is this going to be less catching focused? Is there going to be some other mechanic? The trailer made a big uh, show of pointing out that this is a this was a city whose purpose was to have pokemon and and uh, people uh, coexist which to me brought uh, to mind the detective pikachu film because the fil the city uh, in that film rhyme city is also mm -hmm. introduced as a city in which pokemon and trainer uh, trainers are are meant to coexist i'm like what does that mean though when you're doing a game in that setting so could it be completely different than Legends Arceus? Are we ready for like an urban Pokemon game? What does that even mean? What do you do in that? Is there a lot of indoors settings? Are you like doing other things than battling? I, there's just so many questions we don't have answers to. I think it steps away from a battling mechanic and does something completely different in terms of for the Pokemon games, that since it's going to step away from battling, that instead it's going to be more of a, uh, I don't know how to say it, a dating sim where you have to <laughs> befriend the Pokemon to come and help you build this part of town. Like, hey, Maybe. we need a, like, we need a, I don't know, these examples, like, we need a, a Machoke to help raise this boulder or to move, <laughs> or to raise this beam. So go and find where the Machoke's, like, gym is and convince one of the Machoke's to come help you. Sorry, I just had a vision you just activated in my head. Yeah. Are you saying Pokemon meets Animal Crossing? It could be a real thing? Something, yeah. 
That's what I'm thinking. This is also reminding me, I've listened to a lot of people's takes on the new, um, like a dragon game, Infinite Wealth. There's a whole mode, apparently, in Infinite Wealth that is kind of an Animal Crossing thing where you're developing a city on an island. This sounds, that's, what you're pitching sounds like that. That's what I got from the trailer when it said that you'll, like, Lumo City in its early yes, stages yeah. of development and you will help develop it into the Pokemon Haven capital that it becomes. Well, that's the vibe I got. You heard it here, folks. If that's what this game is, then one, you owe us money. And then two, <laughs> I am way more excited than I would be if they just made a sequel to Legends Arceus. And I, yeah, I guess it depends on how much stock they have in the Legends name and what that means. If that's just a title for them to make spinoffs, or if that means this is a gameplay loop that these games are going to deliver. I am worried, though, if they do do that, first thing and it is something completely different do people who are expecting and wanting a sequel to legends arceus which was a very well reviewed and well reserved like well received game if it's not like that are fans going to be pissed i mean fans are going to pokemon fans are pissed at everything but i mean yes is this going to be another thing for to me like... because we only had one legends game yeah and because that first rcs legends game was the open, very open world template that would eventually evolve into uh, Scarlet and Violet, that right. Pokemon is going to use the Legends name as, we want to try something here. Mm -hmm. We want to do something different than what we've done in the past. But we also don't want to necessarily have it be canonically involved with the current catching a battling system, which is why the legends are always set in the past. It's something far enough away to where it is related in the Pokemon world, but does not infect and in or influence any current Pokemon lore as mm -hmm. it stands between um red, blue, green, all the way up to Violet, Scarlet. I mean, again, I will I hope that's my sincere hope. I hope they try something new. I hope it's different. I hope it's something that is more up my alley than Legends was. Because um, that would be really potentially exciting. And uh, But unfortunately, just like Legends, we'll probably wait. Uh, we'll probably have to wait for a handful of more months. We'll probably have to wait till later in the year to have some sort of gameplay uh, direct where they actually show us what this game is and walk us through what to expect from uh this game but um in the meantime a lot of fascinating things i mean i didn't even get into the the implications of the title like consider z implies that there it, maybe it features zygarde which is a pokemon that was only kind of lightly addressed in x and y because everybody expected they were going to do a proper third version the z yep. and it never happened also ZA reverses AZ, who is one of the characters in the X and Y games, was the guy, the 3,000-year-old guy who loses his partner Pokemon at the beginning of the game. You battle him at the end once you finish the game, and his partner Pokemon returns to him. Obviously, ZA, AZ, there's got to be a link there. And what does this mean for the larger Pokemon lore of X and Y and Black and White? Those games are connected because they both mention this great Pokemon war that happened 3,000 years ago. Uh, does this game, since it takes place in the past, obviously not 3,000 years ago, but does this game address maybe more details about that great Pokemon war and why it was fought and et cetera, et cetera. So uh, it could be really interesting from a lore standpoint too.
So yeah, a lot of crazy things to be uh, discovered here as we find out more about Pokemon ZA. Ooh, what if that's a great Pokemon lore or war where you have two factions, one being Pokemon meant for battling, and one being Pokemon meant for helping and being essentially like work slaves? Oof, and uh, be like, maybe. hey, we want to free these Pokemon so we can <laughs> battle you for them. I have a feeling that that is an area that um, they Game do not, want to, not want to touch. No, yes, no. I think there are reasons why you avoid that kind of narrative. Yes, and why they've been very vague about why there was a war and and what happened in that war. So we'll see. That's okay, but there is an area that Nintendo really wants to touch on and really wants to make sure everyone out there knows: you yeah. do not touch Nintendo stuff. And that is when they ended up suing Yuzu. Yeah. which is a Switch emulator, after Tears of the Kingdom was allegedly pirated over one million times prior to release. So I want to say this is not allegedly in that we don't know what happened. This is allegedly because that's based on numbers from the, I guess, Yuzu's, Yuzu's website. Mm -hmm. um, regardless, Nintendo saw this, freaked out, and is suing the company that makes the emulator. Um, it's not a surprise. It shouldn't be a surprise to most people, unless you somehow didn't weren't aware. Uh, there has been a pretty good Switch emulator almost since the system came out back in 2017. Um, it's unfortunately it was very quick. They really broke that thing wide open fast, especially considering some consoles don't get figured out until years later. Just ask the Xbox consoles. Um, but yeah, for whatever reason, Nintendo's hardware gets cracked fast and that's what happened with switch so there have been switch really good switch pc emulators for a while and um, nintendo is finally using their monetary uh methods to combat this and uh yeah i mean it's an interesting uh story in a couple of ways uh because it's not a surprise at all that nintendo is getting litigious with this stuff they always do but it's interesting they're going after an emulator this time and not a site that hosts ROMs. You, traditionally, they do the ROM sites because that is the illegal part. You are completely able to have an emulator. Emulation is legal. Mm -hmm. But you're supposed to use it for copies of your own games. Where ROM sites come in is because people obviously don't do that. Most people use emulators with ROMs that they illegally obtain. Um... That's where copyright is fuzzy, and that's where the, the the companies like Nintendo get mad. So it is interesting that they're going after the emulation company here. Um, I don't know if they have a case because of that precedent. However, they are Nintendo, and who knows? Maybe they can they, make some sort of argument. I mean, they did go after the Dolphin emulator earlier. So, so they did, but in a different way. They basically just convinced Steam to delist it, is basically what happened okay. there. Because... You can still get Dolphin. That never stopped. You can get it from Dolphin's website, website, and that's it. They were trying to sell it on Steam, and that's where Nintendo had a problem. Because they were like, well, no, Steam, you're basically legitimizing Dolphin by putting it on your store. And Valve just said, okay, fine, and took it off. Okay. But yeah, it's interesting. Uh, but yeah, it also goes to show you the state of Switch emulation must be pretty healthy. Uh, if mil a million people uh, downloaded Tears of the Kingdom for their PC. And last bit of news for Nintendo, if you are waiting for the next Nintendo Switch 2 question mark, apparently you don't have to wait that much longer. 2025 is the date that is currently being out there. 
I didn't include this because this is technically still a rumor, but yes, it yes. seems like all signs point to, um, even though we had heard earlier la or later last year that this was going to be a 2024 release and that they were aiming towards the end of this year. Um, I guess some speculation about avoiding uh, manufacturing delays and trying to keep the thing in stock and available for enough people to buy it, they're delaying it until the uh, beginning of next year. Which, yes, in case you noticed, would make it parallel to Pokemon Legends ZA, hinting at the fact that they that might be a game that is released both for the existing Switch and a upgraded version for the new one, fingers crossed. So, we'll see. Yep. All right. Uh, but this is not the Nintendo part. This is still the game bit. So we have other yes. gaming news from around the sphere, including Remedy. Yes, that company, Remedy, acquiring the IP rights to control the video game from 505 Games, Yeah, the this, uh, publisher. This is cool. Uh, kind of uh, two reasons why this is happening. One, Remedy has said that they want to own their IP so that way they can do this weird interconnected universe thing, which they've already been doing with Alan Wake and Control and Max Payne and, and Quantum Break. And so it won't surprise me if they also try to get Quantum Break's IP from Microsoft, who is the current owner. Um, mm -hmm. The other half of this is that 505 Games has kind of fallen on some difficult times. They had their own round of layoffs last year, I believe. And um, it makes sense for Remedy to be like, we got to get this out from this burning building just in case 505 collapses. So that way they can take the lead and self-publish a Control 2 uh, when that's ready to launch. Yep. And speaking of... Uh guess it's IP, going independent from the big uh, from the big name. Uh, Toys yeah. for Bob goes independent from Activision. Yes, you, of all people, would know Toys for Bob as they were the developers of the recent Crash Bandicoot game and remakes mm -hmm. of the first three games. They also worked on the Spyro uh, remasters as well as a handful of other projects for Activision. Well, Activision no longer. They are spinning off into an independent studio with a 500, or not, sorry, the numbers, different studio. Uh, uh, spinning off from Activision, becoming um, independent. The other half of the story is that they potentially might be making some sort of deal with Microsoft on a future game. No idea what that might be, uh, but uh, watch this space, because that might be yeah. something. And you tried to allude to it. Speaking of spinoffs, yeah. Saber Interactive is spun off from Embracer for yes. $500 million. Yes. And it will continue to develop the upcoming Star Wars Knights of the Old Republic remake. This is a fascinating story considering Embracer right now. Embracer has had oh, quite a run of um, closures of studios as they've been trying to basically shed off all the stuff that they bought in the last couple of years to make up money because they are apparently severely in debt. This is a different kind of shedding, thankfully, where Saber gets to exist. Uh, they get to keep their autonomy, become an independent studio, and make some money in the in the process, whereas Embracer gets to save some money in the long run uh, by not having to run them anymore. Um, this is good news. It's also good news for people who are worried about that Knights of the, Repu Knights of the Old Republic remake. Um, that was kind of in limbo uh, towards the end of last year. There were some stories that had come out about Sony, who was the original publisher of it, remember they showed this trailer in a uh, PlayStation um, showcase mm -hmm. uh, way back when? They used to be the head of this. They dropped out of the project, allegedly. This has not been officially confirmed, but all signs point to yes. 
And Saber was basically left to develop it themselves, and would, they would eventually have to find a new distributor for it. So uh, now they get to keep making that game, again, without Sony, uh, but um, not with Embracer around, which is good news. Um, but yes, that while that Star Wars Knights of the Old Republic remake will continue forward, a different Star Wars game sadly will not, mm-hmm. as EA announced a massive amount of layoffs, yeah, and as a result, canceled Respawn Star Wars first person shooter game. Yeah, this is bad news. One, if you're were an employee that was laid off from EA, because I believe 900 people uh, were laid off, which is about five percent like of their workforce. And then it's also bad news if you like Titanfall 2, because uh, Respawn makes good first-person shooting games. And the fact that they were going to make one in the Star Wars universe was very cool uh, sounding, if especially if it played like Titanfall. Unfortunately, we won't see that game. It will not see the light of day. And uh, yeah, that sucks. That does suck. Yeah. Uh, but it is EA. Did we expect anything less evil from them? Yes, not. All right. Um, so, as we get into our video game thoughts, yes, I did play Final Fantasy VII Rebirth. Yes. But I only played the first hour of it. So okay. I will hold off on giving my thoughts on it until next week. But from everything that I've read and seen, one, everyone is in love with this game. Mm. Two, everyone is in love with the mini games because there are a yes. lot of mini games. Oh, yeah. People can't stop talking about the card game, Queen's yes. Blood. Yep. Everybody loves that. Apparently, people are clamoring for a Queen's Blood spin-off game. spin-off game. Yeah. Yeah. I could see it. I could see it happening. I mean, um, CD I mean, Project Pokemon Red did that with uh, the Witcher C- game. Yeah. Witcher game, Gwent, mm-hmm. um, Hearthstone, you know, all these different card games. Just yeah. now, Final Fantasy has their own card game in Queen's Blood. <laughs> I mean, wouldn't we, their first one, didn't eight have a, what was that, triple, triple something? Sorry, I'm old. Let's move yes. on. Let's move so, on. Oh, I have a quick thought. Played. Yeah. Yes, a uh, quick thought uh, that I won't spend much time on. Uh, Regency Solitaire 2. It is the sequel to Regency Solitaire. It is exactly what it sounds like. It is a solitaire game that takes place in the Regency period. So do you like Jane Austen? Do you like Solitaire? Do I have a game for you? It's available on Steam now. Uh, it's less than $15. Go pick it up if you like a solitaire game where you can also watch uh, like people talk about ticking each other to the ball and talking about um, and spread gossip about the Duke. You know, you know, this, you know, this type. Hey, I- I've seen enough um, of oh God, what is uh, Bridgerton. Why can't I think of the Bridgerton yeah. sequel name? Yeah, think think Bridgerton. You get an idea. Oh, Queen of Charlotte. That's what I'm thinking. Of. Queen Charlotte is the Bridgerton spinoff. Yeah. Yes. So yeah, if you if you like that kind of thing and you like solitaire games, it's neat. Um, I'll, I might put a I might do a video of that put that on the website uh, just for fun. Maybe I'll do some posh Regency voices for for y'all and have some fun with it. I don't know. <laughs> anyway, all right. all right, let's move on to second on, half of the show. Where we always start with television, and we always start the television section with the sports corner. We start in sports in the NFL. Yes, it may be the offseason, but that doesn't mean things aren't happening. The Combine is in Indianapolis this year. Are you excited for Combine action? Oh, I am excited to see both all the um, 
less lesser known yes. football names. Yes. Uh, but I'm names. also excited because last year we started a dynasty league. So now I actually have to pay attention to what they do here because <laughs> we draft before they actually even play a game. Yeah. So there you go. Good luck on that. Yes. I mean, I already won last year. So now I'm, go- I'm trying to be the first and only repeat champion. <laughs> well, if I win again, I'd be the only champion this league has ever known. That's so true. So my reign shall continue. <laughs> At least that's what I'm hoping for. Undefeated. Yes. <laughs> uh, you also have here that Caleb Williams and Marvin Harrison Jr. declined their medical exams. What's going on here? Yes. So, a little unknown, but also unknown fact. Um, mm-hmm. When it comes to the combine, um, players get a medical examination. Okay. Um, probably one, make sure they're in shape um, in terms of, like, what a team is looking for, but also too, this is like their stat line that goes into the draft card onto the ESPN websites that basically lists out, hey, this is like what they are, um, or not what they are, but this is like their height, their weight, their speed, their blah, 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 you know, stats. Yeah. What is probably a lot of people didn't know is that it's not one doctor that mm-hmm. they do for these medical exams. It is 32 different doctors because every team sends mm. their own medical personnel okay. to the combine to examine all of these players. Yeah. Uh, the reason being that, well, why would a doctor from, say, the Los Angeles Chargers trust a doc, whatever a doctor says from the Green Bay Packers? <laughs> Like it's like it's part of the do your own due diligence, but that also means that every single one of these players gets poked and prodded and looked at and examined thirty two times over. Yeah. Well, Caleb Williams and Marvin Harrison Jr., two of the top guys, don't want to be subjected to all this examination, and will only subject themselves to medical exams to teams who actually realistically have a shot at drafting them. Wow. So because Caleb Williams going within the first three picks means that why would he want the Baltimore Ravens doctor or the mm. uh, Kansas City Chiefs doctor or the San Francisco Giants or San Francisco 49ers doctor? <laughs> yeah, I would definitely wouldn't want the San Francisco Giants uh, doctor to oh, look yeah, at no, me. No. He's looking at the wrong body parts completely. Exactly. <laughs> um, why would you subject yourself to have those doctors look at you if you know they have no chance of ever drafting you? Yeah. That's, so, wow. So a weird this, wrinkle. To not to consider uh, that I don't think I've ever thought about before. No, it's well, the thing that most people don't consider that it's just a part of the combine that you go yeah. there and you get your physicals done. Wow. And I think when people hear that, like me and like most people, it's like, oh, it's just one doctor doing all these physicals or like yeah. one group of team. But no, it's every single team doctor there. They have to go around and do all these um, different exams. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Um, but yeah, it's. Part of a new growing trend of bodily autonomy for athletes. Yeah. Where they are opting out of certain things because they know their value and their worth. Right. Especially someone like Caleb Williams and Marvin Harrison Jr. where you have a shit ton of tape on them. Mm-hmm. So they're not going to be a part of the combine where, God forbid, they make one wrong turn on a route and then pull a hamstring or ACL tear. And then yeah. there goes all that money. Like, Hey, you already know what I can do on the field. You have all this tape from when I was in high school. And when I was in college, like 
I don't need to prove anything else to you. You know what you're going to get with me. Um, I, I bet that uh, Kristen has a very interesting take on this. Uh, but what does she think about all of this? Uh, first time she's heard about this, too. Yeah. Because, like I said, it's not something that you think about. Right. Because you think, like, oh, it's just part of the Combine. But technically, the Combine is a third-party entity run yeah. through the NFL. It's just a... Um, a setup where agents and team owners and GMs can all come and meet in an open space environment to talk, make valuations, make discussions, possibly yeah. make trades with other GMs on draft picks as well. And for all the scout scouting people to see all the players just confirm or uh, maybe see something else for the first time in these uh, players in a real life environment yeah. or in a test environment. Yes, so fascinating. Okay, yeah. But that was the only thing that happened in the combine. Xavier Worthy set a new forty-yard dash time, four point twenty-one seconds. Is that a record for all time? Yes, technically Woo. the record was set two years ago by John Ross the third, who currently sits on the the Bengals roster. At four two two, everyone thought the mythical four two mm-hmm. was like unheard of at the time. Yeah, and here we are, just point oh one wow. seconds away from that being possible. That's crazy fast. Yep, it forty yards in just over four seconds. It's a fast crazy dude. time. It is mythical. <laughs> then again, um, like. 20 years ago, even when we were in high school, running a 4-4-40 was considered super fast. Yeah, this is show you. Here, here you are, 0.2 seconds, which is basically a whole body length ahead. <laughs> yeah. And that's the distance you're talking about these guys running. Again, better and better. What can you say? Yep. Um, Moving on from the NFL Combine, we move to Major League Baseball Spring Training, which is hot and happening. And nobody is hotter than the Baltimore Orioles, who have a hot start with an 8-1 and record in the spring so far. Um, I have to note, it is the spring. It does not matter, and it does not count. But if you're who an cares? Orioles fan, if you're an Orioles fan, though, your team looks good. And you always love when your team looks good in the spring, because that bodes well for the season. Especially since, as we noted earlier this year, Baltimore Orioles were sold to a new yeah. owner. So it seems it's great like when a new owner the... comes in and he's like, yes, I like my team now. <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah, it's because that's the thing is that they said that one of the reasons why that happened was because they wanted to really invest and make this a playoff team and make this a winning team. And it seems like so far so good. Uh, but I also have to say, though, if this is not your team and if your team is like not, you know, doing stellar in the spring, just remind yourself it's only the spring. You don't have all of your star players playing every single inning. You don't sometimes have them even in the same game. You're trying out different lineups. You're trying out different strategies. If there's an error, you can work on it literally the same day in camp. It's fine. You can work through spring. It's not the end of the world. That's what I tell myself, at least, to make myself feel better. Well, that's what the San Francisco (laughs) Giants and the Seattle Mariners are telling themselves. as They only have one game wins. 
one That's wins true. each. <laughs> That's true. Speaking of San Francisco Giants, though, they were big trade news yesterday when it was yeah. made official that the always intense Matt Chapman was officially coming from the uh, from Toronto to Grace. The, uh, the, the the Giants uh, with his presence and his butt. So yep. there you go. Three-year, $54 million deal. Not bad. Not bad for Chapman, who is not a spring chicken. He's been in this league for a little bit here. So um, yep. good for him, though. Uh, he made the deal. He made his money. And um, I'm excited to see what that does to the Giants because the Giants need help, is what I will say. I mean, he's gonna need all that money if he's gonna live in San Francisco too. Yeah, that is true. <laughs> not a not a not a, a inexpensive place to live. But I think if anybody can handle it, it's Matt Chapman. He's yes. intense enough to do it. I think San Francisco intensifies. Intense, yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Shaking. Anyway, um, any other? I think that's it for baseball, really. So let's move on to basketball. Yeah. LeBron James has hit another record in the NBA, which happens when you are his age and you played as long as he has. He has become the fastest player in NBA history to score over 40,000 career points. He did it. Yep. Uh, does he have... also... Go ahead. Uh, go ahead. Uh, I was just going to say, does he have any more mountains to climb now? I mean, he has 50,000 one to climb. <laughs> Realistic mountains to climb. I don't know because, like, right now, all his career stats are basically NBA Jam stats at forty thousand <laughs> career points, ten thousand, like eleven thousand rebounds, eleven thousand assists. That's too many. It's so, a lot of numbers. That's too many yeah. things. I mean, I good for I him. Know. Like I said, though, if you play long enough, M- maybe ten thousand blocks, but he's not really a blocker, so no. I don't know. Well, we'll find out, I guess, how much. More, how many more records he can set before he retires? Question mark. Can he do that? Is that possible? I don't know if he can retire. <laughs> is he just going to be playing basketball forever? Is that what we're looking at here? He is going to. He's going to be in the league for so long that he will eclipse Brony's whole career in the NBA. <laughs> I just—it's just amazing um, how long he's played basketball. All right. Anything apparently else? He's in... not deaf now. Apparently not. He's looking to sign an even a longer extension in this upcoming off season. Well, maybe LeBron thinks he's going to be playing as long as the end of sports, and that brings us to the end of sports. Um, so, is there anything else in sports before we move on to television news? I mean, it is just noteworthy that LeBron brains, LeBron brains, Le... <laughs> LeBron's James. LeBron brains. Is that what you yes, call LeBron Le brains. LeBron brains. Uh, he is not only the fastest player to reach 40,000 career points, he's also the only player to reach yeah. 40,000 career points. Wow. The mythical number that when everyone says, like, oh, yeah, if someone ever hits 40,000 career points, Cody, they're, like, the best ever. And you know, yet and there I, are still haters out and there. And still believe people are going to say Jordan. So yes. what are you, you going to do? All right. But what else does this man have to do to declare himself the... <laughs> The king of basketball. Uh, I was going to say star in a space jam, but he did that. <laughs> did that. Oh, no. <laughs> All right. Let's move on. Um, television news. We start with an update. The update that we've been waiting to cover in 2024. We knew it was happening. And here, it's go- here we go. Here we go again, folks. Strike time again? Question mark. Yahtzee 
the, of course, crew union of the entertainment industry. Their contract talks with the Alliance of Motion Picture and Television Producers are set to begin tomorrow, March 4th. Union President Matthew Loeb has said that heading into these negotiations, IATSE is bolstering its bargaining muscle by negotiating key aspects of the contract jointly with the Hollywood Basic Crafts Union, as well as the Hollywood Teamsters. Quote, we think it makes all the sense in the world to be at the table together. And frankly, it's our hope that it will bring more power to us in negotiations. Their interests are identical to ours. End quote. Loeb also highlights the key issues at stake this time, including AI, streaming residuals, and pay hikes. The current contract expires July 31st. There is currently no indication that it will be extended. Quote, if we don't have a deal, we'll be sending out a strike vote. End quote. So, like we talked about last year with the WGA and the SAG-AFTRA strikes, that IATSE was due for their renewal this year. And they will likely be looking for the same kinds of contract uh, perks as the other unions received, but for them. And in order to get that, they're likely going to have to negotiate pretty hard. So it's smart of them to bring in similar other unions that are related to the stuff that they do um, to the table with them so that they can all try to figure out, like, okay, what are we looking for ultimately all collectively and it's up to the studios to hopefully bargain in good faith them. Because if they don't, we will see a strike vote. And if that goes through and there is no contract, we may see another stoppage of television and film production, even though we just got done with the last one. Right, but unlike the last one, the three heads of those unions, two of them were on uh, Alliance, and one of them was not looking at direct, the DGA. Yep. Here does not seem to be the case. It seems like they, they saw what happened last year. Yeah. They saw that, hey, we can do better. Let's learn from this. And they're coming together as a three headed monster to talk to the AMPTP. So, yeah, uh, kind of anyone's guess at this point whether the studios are willing to play ball. My um, guess is probably not that they're going to try to fight tooth and nail again. But I do wonder how much of last year is going to be in their rearview mirror, right? Of how much they're going to consider the potential losses of another work stoppage. Is it worth it? They're going to really have to weigh those two things. Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if both like accountants and lawyers are currently scrambling yeah. to see like, hey, quickly, give me the numbers here. How much did we lose? And how much can we potentially lose? Should we enter another strike? And how long should we let that strike go yeah. before we eventually cave? Because that's what happened last time. All you have to do is, from a business perspective, is look at the devastation Disney faced last year and look mm -hmm. at that what that did to their bottom line, their release lineup, all of their situation. It created kind of the chaos that's in their studio right now. And ask themselves, do we want that to happen to us? Like, you really have to think about this beyond because i think they realized the hard way last year how much it does actually impact when you can't produce anything because of a strike and it's so, also yeah, the it's optics of just hollywood going into a second strike yeah that warner brothers got hammered last year <laughs> not only by not releasing things but by david zazaloff basically sticking yeah. his foot in his mouth at every single turn and, and still the, the, and still as a result the, the warner that. brothers stock drops yeah. like significantly 
But yeah, and we're still feeling the ripples of that kind of approach because, you know, you have the Coyote versus Acme stuff that still mm -hmm. is developing. And it's just, yeah, it's just embarrassing if you're, if you're Zaslav, if you're Warner. And yeah, but honestly, I don't know. It could go any way. Uh, I think last year taught us that um, the greed of these studios is so, so high that they will take any action to possibly save some money and pinch some pennies so we'll find out but um obviously we here at the media boat podcast are in full support of these unions getting the contract that they desire crews work hard man you don't have movies you don't have tv shows unless you have everybody who works in the background the below the line workers the reason why these industries work the way they do it's not just about who's acting it's not just about who's writing it's about the people who make the sets, who make the costumes, who make do the hairstyling. <coughs> Pardon me. And that's going to be a big point of contention, mm -hmm. especially as studios move towards these LED walls yeah. for practical sets versus digital sets. You're going to see a lot of protections probably that the that the, they're going to want in their contract for stuff like that to make sure that this is differentiating special effects from what they still do as production designers and set designers and prop masters and gaffers. And like, I could go on. There's so many, the best boy. Think about the best boy. What does the best boy think about all of this? I want to know. He's the best. Around. <laughs> no one's going to get him down. All right. Uh, we need to move on, but yes. Uh, so we will of course keep you updated if that goes to a strike vote. And of course, if a strike happens, you will hear it here. So get ready. Strap in another one of these <laughs> again. It's maybe unless they strike a deal, but this yeah. is a summer, July 31st, which means come August 1st, it could be a strike. All right. But All hey, right. That's that five it. months from now. Yes. That does it for television news. Let's move into some thoughts. We watched some stuff. Um, I watched one of these, uh, at least the first episode of one of these. Can you guess which one? <laughs> can i guess that it's iwaju because it was on no Disney? we did not watch iwaju but why don't you tell me about iwaju because i saw that this came out and i am curious so uh do you remember last year how we talked about disney mm -hmm. was partnering with a nigerian um animation studio animation to studio. create yes. something new that's what yes, this is this is that yes this is that result of that it is set in a futuristic nigeria lagos uh, where technology is abound, but still have some of the same kind of uh, a CD underbelly that's that happens specifically with child kidnappings. Mm, okay. So, an inventor who works at a big company is currently trying to solve said problem mm. uh, by creating a, a pet to uh, uh to assist in preventing such kidnappings from happening but then what happens when his daughter gets kidnapped dun, uh, -oh. dun, dun. uh it's a very visually striking um series it's six episodes all 25 minutes each i feel like this could have been a movie but uh -huh. the way it's paced and broke down where they do a lot of like five minute flashbacks in order to catch up here it doesn't work that way but I think we told it could have been a movie. They just wanted to break it down for a Disney Plus series. Mm -hmm. uh, but visually, I really like it. 
I really like all the animation. I really like all the different hairstyles they have going on here. They learned from uh, well, what is the Oscar-winning short of like Bad Hair Day, <laughs> yeah. whatever that one was, hair it might have just been called, uh, and used those techniques here. Um, I like that set in a futuristic society, especially in uh, La Lagos. It's got its own kind of unique styling, mm -hmm. uh, and the characters. Your main character, I swear to God, just looks like a tech, a tech LeBron. <laughs> tech LeBron. It does. It looks like LeBron's got the same kind of shape, beard, fade, and then just throw glasses on. It was like, oh, that's LeBron with the glasses on. <laughs> <laughs> so I just couldn't get that hit which out of my head. Just couldn't look at it like, that's why that looks so familiar. Why does it look so familiar? <laughs> that's why. Um, but you know, it's it's a fun adventure. Uh that being said, I think the Disney portion of this, it being Disney fight, mm -hmm. is actually a detraction from what this mm -hmm. could have been very special. Okay. It definitely felt like they shoehorned in a pet companion. They definitely shoehorned in a superhero-esque motif into mm -hmm. it. They definitely shoehorned in a a raised stakes kind of villain to where it could have been someone who was more of a sympathetic villain of I came from nothing. Why do the billionaires have all the money and we beg for scraps? Mm -hmm. They need to be brought down to our level. Like we are still part of their people. They came from us, but they're not here really helping us. That was a really great motivation until you take it a step too far where he kidnaps the billionaire's daughter and demands money but then demands his clientele so he could then extort more people. I'm like, wait, you had such a good ending right there. Why did you have to take it a step further to extort more people and make it about the money? You didn't have to do that. You could have just stopped at trying to make him a better, like trying to make the, the LeBron James character better understand that he needs to do better for his own city. But I mean, that's the thing though, is like that, that's a, I feel like that's actually pretty realistic, right? Is that, you have these people, especially these people who are coming from, um, you know, some sort of what they believe is a moral imperative and they take it too far because they're like so like they're so like blinded, I guess, um, by like by the the ambition of it and that they just keep mm -hmm. going and going and going and then it becomes too much. Um, I was trying so hard to hold my tongue on this, but I guess this really reminds me. I know it's like the most obvious comparison to make in the world. But it reminds me of Black Panther. Specifically, the uh, the Killmonger's setup is very similar, right? Where it's like you have basically starts at a pretty respectable moral position, yeah. but he takes it too far and is very much in that kind of mold of villain. It is. Um, it doesn't get into the um, we're going to take over the world that Killmonger gets sure. into, yeah. but it does get in. But it does very much co-align with. Someone who came up from nothing versus someone mm -hmm. who technology advanced and has everything hand, not literally handed them, but earned yeah. through their um, fortunate givings. Mm -hmm. So, so yeah, it seems like because this is coming from a uh, an African studio and because it is very much based in that kind of culture, is it does it get enough of that across where it definitely feels 
un-Disney in that way, where it feels like it's coming from people who are trying to say something about their own culture? Or do you think the Disney-ness of it blurs that line too much? Because you kind of addressed that a little bit. You said it that tries there's a little to keep bit it too much too justification. so it tries it really much does the aladdin thing where it takes in two separate locations one being within the walls of the city sure and like the technical high society but then there is the journey to outside the walls into the the ongoing slums the ongoing harsh life of right the suit of outside the walls And that's what the main character, little girl, is, is that she's from within the city, the Disney princess, because she's comes from the wealthy family and has a pet sidekick. Therefore, she's a Disney princess. Yeah, that, Moana told us the rules. That's what that's what it is. Yep. So she comes from the sheltered life and then is brought into the real life, which is where she gets, or not the real life, but the harsh life where she gets kidnapped. And it's like, oh, like. my naivety of being a 10 year old i think it was, it was 10 year old um is like turning on me like oh maybe the world isn't as good and rosy as i think it is and i'm and i really don't know everything even though i'd like it to be so it does play on that as well so there's a lot of different things a lot of different layers going on within this which is why i like it but at the same time it does feel like disney purposely took it the step too far to disneyfy it into what it is now instead of something really great of what it could have been right oh well that's a little disappointing but i i'm glad that they're making stuff like this i'm glad that they're letting studios partner uh that are have these unique perspectives and these unique stories i think that it, more of this should exist and maybe the second or third time they do it maybe they'll get better who knows so okay cool to see though Then uh, before we talk about the last thing, uh, why don't you wrap up Mr. and Mrs. Smith for us? Uh, you just finished that. Yep, I finally got through it, and got through is about an apt term for it, because it did kind of um, <laughs> all come out. It wasn't a weekly roll. It was just, here's uh -huh. all eight episodes. So it was pretty much go at your own pace. Yeah. That was weird. Um, <laughs> so I had... button with it and pretty much what i said from the beginning mm -hmm. where it's um both uh the mr and miss smith characters trying to both like coexist in a work and life relationship where they have to sell themselves on having this kind of dual life that's actually the same life uh, by the time you get to the end it does leave it on a rocky note But also by the time you get to the end, it does fall into what everyone thought this was originally going to be, which was a Mr. and Mrs. Smith style shootout with the mm. company, a la the Mr. and Smith movie with Brad Pitt and Angelina Jolie. Yeah. Um, it does eventually get there, and it does feel earned, okay. although it does at times feel like they could have done 10 episodes to make this hammer the point home instead of eight episodes <laughs> uh, but it is left on an ambiguous ending of who survives who doesn't is there even going to be a season two um it does the uh slow pullback from a window and you just see the flashes go off so it's like <laughs> oh standoff who survived who died did anyone make it out so should there be uh so this only be it it could be And it as, oh yeah, 
just everyone shot out in a Mexican standoff style and they all died. Mm-hmm. Or should season two come out, you don't have to really explain that, oh, they survived. It's like, oh, we just realized that they survived. So it's really left to an ambiguous ending. But the way they get there, it does feel like a real relationship and bond grew. And might be a bad take, but I don't care. <laughs> I think it's really great that Maya Erskine's in this instead of Phoebe Waller-Bridger. <laughs> she has such great chemistry with Donald Glover. Right. It's insane. Well, it's an upgrade then. Um, do you want to see more of this? If there is a second season, are you interested? Were you sold by the end of it? I'm not sure where they could go with it because since they essentially turned on the company, they're no longer given missions. Um, so it becomes a, we're going to try and there is a season two. We're going to try and then hunt down who is um, their supervisor boss. They call him high, high. Uh, Cause he, <laughs> cause the, the, on the via computer and they start all their messages with high, high. So they call him, Oh, high, high. <laughs> Which I think is funny and cute, but it's a different stuff like that where it's like, oh, we're going to create inside jokes with our characters, but then you're going to be on the inside joke so you can see the kind of growth that they have as well. Yeah. Okay, cool. All right. Well, we'll see if they make more of that. Uh, in the meantime, we both watched, uh, I at least watched the first episode of something Same. brand new that the internet cannot shut up about. Um, Hulu and FX's Shogun. Now, question. Yes. Did you watch this subbed or dubbed? Because there are both versions. <laughs> we watched it as intended with uh, the uh, Japanese language. Um, and uh, yeah, this thing's a lot, isn't it? But it man, is. does it look cool. That's my takeaway. Um, just the, the attention to detail is what really got me about this thing. Um, it just so much of it looks like contemporary Japanese art from that time period with kind of the washed out backgrounds and kind of like nature around and the big sweeping cities and the fashion and the and then but beyond that though like I think there's interesting things that's happening story-wise but for the first half of it I was having kind of a hard time following but then once the action starts picking up a little bit towards the end of the episode then it, all of a sudden it was like super engaging and by the end of it I was like alright okay I'm on board I'm on board with you Shogun uh, you got me what's going to happen next it's kind of like a more palatable I almost want to say Thrones. Game of Thrones but not yeah. really because you That's don't what have everyone's to saying. but the thing is you don't have to deal with all the fantasy bullshit like you do with Game of Thrones which is what lost me with Game of Thrones is I don't have to memorize all these different races and dragons and the rules about like how that stuff works it seems like it's because it's literally based on history it's a little easier to absorb in that way mm-hmm. but still giving you that kind of dynastic like multiple different important players and and finding like discovering like di- like different wrinkles of a new culture that maybe you're not familiar with there's just a lot of cool things happening, but it's a little overwhelming at first. And so I'm really curious. The, I know there's two up right now, but we haven't yep. delved into the second one. And whether or not by the time I'm done with that second one, I'll feel like more like rounded and like with my feet on the ground there. Because 
I do feel like I'm a little at sea with it. But so far, I, I like what I've seen. Yeah, I was a little bit worried that it would lean more into the last samurai s role s where you have the white savior washed boom mm. washed ashore and then no. comes in and saves everything yeah. but no I think they're doing the opposite of that trope yes. which is interesting where this guy is a dumbass he is the stand-in for the yeah. audience of like yeah, he, I have no idea what's going on and I have to figure it out yeah he's been thrown he's fish out of water is what he yes. is he's been thrown into this world well pirate out of water but yes uh, that he doesn't even he didn't even know about. He's having mm -hmm. to learn all this stuff from scratch, and he it will be interesting to see how he is it takes like how he fits into the narrative that's happening in Japan, which is this which is like this like again this dynastic feud almost trying to pick a a leader essentially, mm -hmm. uh, not too dissimilar from Game of Thrones. Um, and to to only assume that how he like how this dude is gonna fit into that narrative is fascinating to think about, and um, the characters are fun so far. I like um, I like the 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 Spaniard priest guy. He's got a lot of jokes about penises, which is fun. Uh, <laughs> it's just they're really creating a very weird, strange environment in the show, but. I'm digging it. I'm digging it. Yeah, I mean, this is from FX, coming from the dramatics, the the opposite, complete opposite from the bear, which is fairly <laughs> in the uh, dark comedy side. This is the yeah. dark drama side, right? Of it. Right. You know, and we have to thank uh, it's always sunny in Philadelphia for <laughs> continuing to bolster FX's roster. Because uh, yeah. without them, FX probably would have gone under a long time ago. <laughs> So as someone who watches a lot more of this kind of show, how, how are you how are you uh, feeling about it so far? Um, unlike other huge dramatic sleeping shows where I just want to binge it at the end of it, yeah, I really want to watch this on a weekly basis. It's this a lot. This is a very, well, yeah. what, it's a lot to take into. Um, mm -hmm. Also, slightly a lot of reading, but that's what you get with it. So that is. that's not a, really a knock on it. That's just a, yeah. a forewarning. Speaking of a lot of reading, it is a show that feels as if it was based on a book because it is. It and is. but it feels like it. It feels very novelistic. It feels very like the pacing is very slow and detailed. So that way you're really absorbing this world and really getting into the minds of these characters, which is and something the cinematography you can do. of it. Yeah. And the pacing and the camera and the pans and the sort of close ups. It definitely feels like it's I want you to focus on this and I want you to focus on this. And I'm going to purposely move this shot with you so you can get the yeah. feeling around everything the tension yeah. the build-up the music it all swells into mm -hmm. a perfect near perfect tv yeah. show and um uh, and uh, the last thing i'll say about it is that i bet this is like amazing for uh, like somebody who is fascinated with has historical dramas especially japanese mm -hmm. cultural history I feel like this is just catnip for that person. If somebody is like really loves that era of Japanese history, they're probably just eating this up. Just num, 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 num. they're probably just like, this is the coolest thing I've ever seen. <laughs> they probably read that book a thousand times. Now they're actually seeing it adapted and they probably love it. So cool. Good for them is what I'm saying. <laughs> yep. But yeah, Shogun, um, yeah Shogun on Hulu or FX. Um, might be talking about it. Well, we will be talking more once it wraps up, but yep. Right now, early on, yeah. it's definitely get a lot of buzz. You definitely see it everywhere on the internet, as you've mentioned. Oh, 
Uh, we will talk about it more as it wraps. It's not going to wrap up anytime soon, but so 10, weeks la- 10 weeks on, yes. <laughs> All right, so we'll come back to that later. All In right. the meantime, let's move on to cancellations and renewals. We got none. Yep. Or do you I'm have no longer watching news? nothing. All right. Well, then that means that we can move on to deaths. We had one death this week. Uh, Richard Lewis, comedian and a co-star of Curb Your Enthusiasm for years, unfortunately died at age 76. You saw a lot of uh, comedians and a lot of people in the comedy world uh, comment on his loss. He was a very beloved comedian's comic, and um, most people now do know him from his recurring role uh, on Curb. Uh, Larry David even put out a statement basically saying how sad he was about about his death and that they were like had been best friends basically since birth, which is wild to think about. Um, and yeah, um, definitely a staple of television comedy who will be uh, who will be missed. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. All right. With that said, let's move on to the movie section, our last section today. And we always start that with the weekend box office and surprise, surprise, it's dunk time, baby. Dune Part 2 is your number one movie premiering this weekend at $80 million premiere. Pretty good, especially considering the recent history of the box office. We didn't cross that 100, but 80 is still a big number for 2024 so far. Looks like it's trending just north of 80 as of right now to 81.5. Yeah. So in the so, second yeah. weekend, we'll see how it does. We uh, have tickets. We will be seeing Dune Part 2 on Wednesday night. So next yep. week's show, we will be able to talk about that. Yes, next week we will talk about the best film of 2023. <laughs> Stop As well as the Oscars. <laughs> Stop doing that. All right. You don't know. Maybe something else will surprise you. Maybe. <laughs> I, I, I don't know. All right. Number two, uh, Bob Marley, One Love, continues to make money. $7.5 million. That's 82.7 in domestic run. Number three, Ordinary Angels. I don't even know what that is. $3.5 million this weekend. That's at 12.4 total. You have number four, Chosen Season 4, Episode 7 to 8. We talked about how weird this is. $3.4 million. That's at 4.1 million total. And rounding out your top five. Oh, Madam Webb, still here. $2.9 million. That's at a measly $40 million. Sony is still never going to make another movie in that universe. Sorry, people who were hoping for the Sydney Sweeney-led um, Spider-Women movie, but it's not going to happen. That's okay. You can watch her on SNL this last week with Casey Musgraves. With Casey Musgraves. And we're gone full circle. I mean, that could be the we only reason it. you watch it, but yes. <laughs> we did it. We did it. All right. Uh, moving on to new releases this coming week. Get ready, kids and families. Finally, a family movie is in theaters again. Kung Fu Panda 4 is in theaters this weekend. So if you've already seen Dune and you want to see some pandas fight, go for it. Go see Kung Fu Panda 4. There's four of them. And then also something called Imaginary, which I believe I saw the trailer for this. Uh, Yes, this is the horror film. Imaginary yes. about right. imaginary friends coming to right. kill. Yes. Do not be confused with, with the yeah. other imaginary film friends, which is uh, called which is if, the comedy. called if, 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 yeah, if, yeah. if imaginary friends. If right. which is the Ryan Reynolds film, right, coming out in May. I want to say it's, it's a summer release. Yeah, very different. Yeah, it's not here. Yes, very very different movies. Two different films, but both about imaginary friends. All right. 
Moving on into movie news. Guess what? We're taking a break from awards coverage, which we've given to you back to back pretty much since the beginning of the year, to talk about anime. Specifically, Naruto. You're probably yes, wondering, what? That that Naruto. Yes. The one Naruto. that ended and had the of sequel, the Boruto. Yes. The prequel to Boruto. <laughs> yes, the prequel to Boruto. Naruto. If you love Naruto, you're probably going to be very mad at this story. <laughs> Destin Daniel I don't know about Brenton, that. <laughs> I don't know, who co-wrote and directed the Marvel Studios movie Shang-Chi and The Legend of the Ten Rings, has been tapped to pin and helm a live-action adaptation of Naruto for Lionsgate. He will be joined alongside everybody's favorite adapter of stuff from movies and television, Avi Arad, Ari Arad, and MEU, the team between Lionsgate's upcoming video game adaptation, Borderlands, which we didn't talk about on this podcast, but they did put out the first images and trailer for yeah. Borderlands, and it's weird seeing Tar, uh, Kate Blanchett, in that movie. <laughs> I still don't understand why she's in that thing. Why? Anyway. I, don't, I don't know. It's going to come out during the, like, she wants to, like, have, like, something fun or goofy or like really love the script and I don't believe it, but no, I don't it's believe Eli Roth directed, script. so maybe yeah. that's why. I don't know. It's baffling. But anyway, we don't have time to talk about Borderlands. Pretton has Naruto creator Masashi Kishimoto's blessing on the project, something bestowed upon him after a visit to Tokyo. The adaptation has been in development with Lionsgate since late 2015, so this has been a long time coming. And Cretton's boarding marks a significant leap forward in actually getting it to be on screen. So Naruto, fan, Naruto fans seem a little divided about this. I think recent apt adaptations have kind of been hit or miss. I think people largely liked the One Piece show on Netflix, but people have hated the recent Avatar uh, Netflix show. This is a movie, so it's a little bit different in stakes, but still, I feel like that's such a beloved property that if they fuck this up, the fans are going to be livid. If they do not run correctly, the fans will be livid. <laughs> you gotta do the run. That's the whole thing about Naruto. You gotta do the Naruto run. Yes, yeah, so walk... Sorry, don't walk. Naruto <laughs> run. run. Yeah, Naruto see run. This in theaters. <laughs> you just, yeah, you, you got it. That's that's the thing. I'm that, sure that's gonna, gonna be, be the, that that's gonna be the line. That's gonna be the tagline that tag right there. Anyway. So yeah, I don't know. I don't Anyways. know if this will be any good. They've sure taken a long time to get it to screen, so we'll see. Um, do note that... Uh, I believe that this is happening since Daniel, uh, Destin Daniel Cretton dropped out of doing the Avengers films. Mm. So this is what's happening. In st Wait, I'll make sure I got that right. I want to make sure if he is still doing it or not. Okay. Um, see, this is a weird name. Destin Daniel Cretton Marvel. Because mm. he was doing the Wonder Man film. Oh. Uh, yes, that's right. He did exit the Avengers King Dynasty films. Okay. So this is, that's right. And then the uh, guy who did Loki is now directing and writing. So that's Oh, right. and while we're on the subject, I just wanted to follow up with something you had said a couple of weeks ago. Mm -hmm. It has now been officially confirmed that, yes, you were right about uh, Disney dropping Kang from those Avengers films. They more or less confirmed that they are renaming and rewriting basically those scripts. And yeah. they will have nothing to do with Kang anymore. So, yeah. uh, probably Dr. Dib, which is why the bit Fantastic Four movie and it's casting was announced and becoming like a big thing now. Yeah. So, course correction. You were totally right on that call that that, that yeah. they needed to do that. All right. 
Let's move on to thoughts before we get to the thought. Uh, brief um, Oscar cleanup to do. The Oscars are next Sunday. We will be recording a show before they air, so this will not be our prediction show. Wait for that for next week, and it'll be day of, so you'll be able to listen to after the show and see how wrong we are. So always enjoy that part of the year <laughs> when people find out that we are not that great at predicting things. Yep. And, and we, we will, will also talk able, about Dune. Yes, we will talk about Dune. Then we may also talk about Poor Things, as yes. it will become available to stream on Hulu this upcoming Thursday, March 7th. Yes. Three days before the Oscars. So. Right. I will be watching this uh, on Thursday night. So, yes, we will carve out some time to watch Poor Things when it comes on Hulu. Yep. But in the meantime, I did some other Oscar cleanup. I finally saw Oppenheimer. And unfortunately, since we're already 15 till the hour, I don't have time to go as long as I'd like to. Uh, but what I will say is, I think it is a good movie. I personally think it's Nolan's best. I don't know how you feel about that as a Nolan fanboy, but I personally think that the fact that it is a movie about a single subject really helps his focus. And I think it refines both his writing and his directing to have that focus. And it's not as distracted feeling as some of his other movies. I think it is a more yeah. linear take on a Nolan film, even though yeah. he likes to do nonlinear things. Right. But yeah. that being said, because it both kind of starts and ends with the black and white hearings, <laughs> that it is more or less a continuation of a single thought through, unlike yeah. his previous films, like Conception, like Dunkirk, Tenet. Uh, like Tenet, yeah. which dealt with a lot of time dilation, interstellar right. time dilation, like how you did that. Yeah. Um, it seems like he stepped away from doing stuff like that mm -hmm. and told a more linear encapsulating story here. I mean, there is some uh, going back and forth between timelines. There is the classic Nolan thing about giving you a peek into something that happened in the past only to give you the full picture later in the film. But I think the way it's executed here is feels more refined. It feels more purposeful. It feels more like something that a Spielberg would do in some of his historical uh, dramas, as opposed to something like an Interstellar or a Tenet. It's not messing around with timeline for the sake of messing around with the timeline. It is to use it for the purpose of the story that he's telling about a man. And I think that's what I mean by, like, it feels more focused. And I think he's using his weird quirks to a benefit for the, well, not for the first time, that's a little mean, but to, like, in the best way I think he's done it so far, and yeah, I think that it's an incredibly well-made movie because of it. I think it looks beautiful. I think just hand the cinematography author, uh, Oscar already, <laughs> like, just hand it over. They earned it. Um, I think it's really well-directed. I like the performances in it. I think, yeah, you will see probably Killian Murphy and Robert Downey Jr. win for their performances here. I think that's pretty much not up for debate at this point. Um, yeah, I think it's a really solid movie. I, you know... It does, the, the the thing that it fails, the one part where it fails for me personally is 100% personal for me, which is I just don't find the subject matter super interesting. I'm just not a science or math guy or a physics guy. Mm -hmm. So, so much of the movie is just dialogue about the creation of the atomic bomb, what that means for science, what that means for society. I'm more interested in the society part. And so when you do have the debates with the scientists and the physicists, and when you do have that part of the the, the movies, 
I try to pay attention and difficult for me, but Nolan seems to be fascinated with it and it will click with the people who are fascinated with it just like he is. And that's awesome. And it works. And he directs it in a and paces it in a way that it's fascinating even if you don't understand what's going on. And that's a skill. That really shows a level of like skill coming to a movie like this. Um, yeah, and like I said, visually, it's like fantastic. Some of the special effects stuff is wild. It is crazy to me that that detonation sequence alone was not worth a nomination in the VFX category. What are they thinking? It, it wasn't special incredible. effects. It was practical effects. But that's visual effects. I know. <laughs> and so it's like, it's frustrating to me that something that looked that cool and, again, real, like, is not being, like, nominated for something. It just baffles me. But um, other than that, though, like, even though I personally didn't like it as much as Killers of the Flower Moon this year or Past Lives or Barbie... Uh, I definitely liked more than Maestro, <laughs> but yes. uh, I think yeah, it's a it's a good movie with some really good performances, with a solid script. Some things I didn't necessarily love on the periphery, like its depiction of women. Um, you know, it's Nolan. What are you gonna do? Um, but you know, there's some stuff about the storytelling I didn't absolutely love. But I think as a story that is about a man who is dealing with. The parallels of his life, a complicated social life, a complicated romantic life, a complicated moral ambiguity with the thing that he's creating, his struggle with a, like, the very concept of what it means to dedicate yourself to something that, when it occurs, you feel incredibly conflicted about, and what that means for your life as it goes on. And then to have that paralleled with the Robert Downey Jr.'s character kind of trying to shove him out the spotlight and trying to deal with his, how this man affected his life and his future and how he's bitter about it and literally tries to sabotage him in the process. It is a fascinating parallel story. And again, it makes sense to have somebody like Nolan tackle this because Nolan's predilection for multiple timelines and parallel storytelling works in the story's favor, I think, not for the first time, but I think in the best time. Like, I think this is a perfect match of director and story in a way that I haven't seen with Nolan before. So, yeah, I think that by itself uh, makes this, I think, for me, this is your front runner for Best Picture. I mean, there's a reason it gets all the awards everywhere. Yeah. It's a reason that it's going to be heavily favored, heavily pushed. Uh, yeah. Let's see here. I'll say this is also the first time that he didn't have his brother write on it too. Right. So maybe that helped. <laughs> maybe that helps with the focus too. Um, but yes. yeah, generally speaking, yeah, I, it's not my favorite movie uh, that of the Oscar season, but uh, I get it now. I get why people are freaking out. I get why everybody's like, oh yeah, this is this is it. Yeah, I think for a lot of people, this is it. And I think it will probably be the most popular Oscar movie in years. Like, with the amount of actual audience that watched it. I, I think mean, this is everything everywhere all at once was great last did year. Did not bring in the audience that Oppenheimer did. Oh no. <laughs> I think so. the last time we were looking at something with the money behind it, mm -hmm. you have to go to Titanic. Maybe oh no. Um I'll say maybe Argo. I don't remember if that was maybe but not state. that really even. No. Um it'd have to be uh Lord of the Rings, Return of the King. Yeah, maybe. Yeah, Lord of the Rings. 2004. 
but yeah, um, in lieu of a surprise Barbie win, <laughs> I think this is going to be your populist choice. Um, yeah, yeah I, I enjoyed my time with it. Cool. Also, also, I want to note, even though Nolan makes a big deal about seeing it on the big screen and like how his stuff is meant for that kind of thing, watching it on my 4K TV with my surround sound system was an incredible experience. I'm just going to say, like, the guy knows what he's doing. <laughs> and I sometimes forget that because it's been a while since I've seen one of his films. But it is definitely a showcase of how good a movie can look and how good it can sound as long as you can deal with kind of writing the volume when there's dialogue. <laughs> I did have to kind of, all right, crank it up. Somebody's talking. Robert Downey Jr., I can't hear him. And then when it goes to uh, the some of the louder stuff, I'm like, oh, I have to crank this way down. It is nine in the morning. <laughs> Anyway, that's Oppenheimer. So yes, Oppenheimer. that prepares us for Oscars next week. We'll have yep. our full slate of predictions. We'll you get... need to knock yours out today. We'll lock it so in. Get Four on things there. will come out on Thursday. Unfortunately, this does mean that the uh, winner for Best International Film Zone of Interest <laughs> we probably will not be able to get to. Right. Uh, but we'll watch it when it comes to streaming, probably on Max. Yeah. The week after the Oscars, because they're going to be talking about, hey, what is this film that no one was able to see? <laughs> exactly. So we'll see. All right. That'll do it then for movies. And yep. that'll do it for the weekend. weekend. But that'll do it for this episode of the Media Boat Podcast. So thank you for joining us. We will be back next week for, like I said, our Oscar prediction show, as well as our Dune Part 2 show, as well as whatever else comes up. Um, so tune in then. If you want to see it in video form, go to our YouTube channel, Media Boat Podcast. Search that on YouTube and you'll find it. Click the bell for notifications when new videos go up live. Also watch that space for our March Madness Best Picture Face-Off Tournament. Check there for those videos as well. Moving on to audio format, if you'd rather hear us in your ears, we are in podcast uh, services such as Apple Podcasts. Uh, we are on iHeartRadio, Spotify, Anywhere you listen to podcasts, search Media Boat Podcast to find us. You can find us on MediaBoatPodcast.com for a written archive of our shows and special features. You can find us on social media platforms like Twitter or X at MediaBoatCast. Blue Sky, MediaBoat.BlueSky.Social, sorry, B-S-K-Y, not Blue Sky. Uh, if you search Media Boat, you'll find us there. Twitch.tv slash MediaBoat is where you can find us streaming stuff, maybe some more Final Fantasy Rebirth. Probably get some of that later this week as well. All right, cool. And then last but definitely not least, if you have questions, but to yell at us about our thoughts about the Oscars, yell at us about um, our thoughts about Borderlands the movie, I don't know, whatever you have a thing stuck in your craw about us, please email us at mediabookpodcast at gmail.com and we will answer your question here live on the air. So that'll do it. We'll see you guys next week for an exciting big show. So tune in for that. Yep, we'll be back next week with more news, more thoughts, Oscar finality predictions. Yes. And talking about more things. Yeah, maybe. And whatever else. All right, All right. see. Okay, bye. Bye. bye.